Faith. Thank you for downloading and listening to this podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, we would like to connect with you. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all your social media outlets so we can minister to you every day. God bless and hope you enjoy the episode. Matthew 22 this morning. And, you know, my wife was talking about uh, we don't need more pie. We, 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 you're a pie. We don't need more pie. Yes, we do. We don't need more pie. Listen. What kind of pie? Listen. I've been praying that God would expand my borders. The only thing that seems to be expanding is my waist size. So we don't need no more pie. And please, so no, please, nobody, no, no, no veggie pies or anything like that because you think it'd be funny because no, 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 no. No, there's some things you just shouldn't be. It just shouldn't be, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Howard agrees, right? <laughs> should just be, should just not be some things like vegetable pie. <laughs> I don't even know if that is a thing, but but that's pretty close to a quiche, isn't it? Yeah. Pretty close to a quiche, a veggie pie. Yeah. That. All right, all right. Let's reel this thing back in here before I get myself in trouble. We're gonna talk this morning on the great wedding. Anybody ever been to a wedding? Yeah. Amen. Most of you that are married, I hope you at least attended one in your lifetime. You know, when my when my wife and I got married, we I told her, and she agreed with me for the most part. I thought. Uh, anybody know how that goes? She agreed with you, you thought. Well, I said, let's get married in blue jeans and a button-up and my cowboy hat in the backyard of your dad's house, and that will be that'll be correct. Right? Well, somehow I ended up in my army dress blues in a church in a full wedding processional. And I'm not sure how I ended up there, but I did nonetheless. But I was there. And, and you know, the, the one thing I remember about my wedding above all else is one, I was furious at the bridesmaid, Zilla. I mean, I love her, love you, Jessica. We've come to know each other and like each other a little bit more. But we didn't like each other at first. Um, I'm pretty sure. Anyways, uh, and the second thing I remember about my wife, is, or about my wedding, is that my wife was coming down the aisle, and she, she's walking down the aisle, I hear her whispering something. And I, I don't know what she's whispering, and first, and, and when she gets a little bit closer, I hear her saying, run, run now, you still have time, run away. True story. I am not making that up just to get a laugh out of somebody. And she goes up, and she, we're standing here in front of the altar, and she goes, there's still time. And then, and then her dad says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss the bride. And I kissed her, and then she goes, I warned you. <laughs> now, I don't know if that last part's true, but I don't remember if it is. Okay. Yeah. I, I, try, I, try, I told you, you could run now, but now, now I got you in your hook, and well, anyways. Would you like me? Uh, well, most days. I like you If this is your first time in the church, we like to have just a little bit of fun. Yeah. And, uh, but we're going to get down to some serious matters now. We're going to start talking about the great wedding feast in Matthew 22. So if you would, you have your Bibles in Matthew 22. We're going to start reading in verse number one. But if you would, let's stand for the reading of the word. 
And we're going to read verses 1 through 14. And it says this. And Jesus answered and said to, and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain man who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and fatted... My, I have, let me start that over. See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went in, out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw the man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to them, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you for a beautiful day that we get to come into your house. And I pray, Father, that you would allow me to speak your word to your people in spirit and in truth. Remove all of my flesh, God, and allow me to speak your word as it is, as it is written and as you intend for us to understand it today. God, I pray that you would open the hearts of the people that are going to receive this word. God, whether they are here presently, they are watching online, or they are watching this sometime in the future, Father, I pray that you would open their hearts, quicken their ears to hear and receive from you, God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. So, oftentimes in the Bible, parables are one of the things that Jesus used most in his ministry. That he, he did a vast majority of his teaching in parables. And oftentimes, though, the parables he told were confusing, at least at the time. And uh, anybody ever read a parable in the Bible and went, okay, what's he, what's he trying to tell me now? Right? Anybody ever read one and went, eh, what's he, I don't know what he's trying to say. But Jesus gives us an explanation in Matthew 13 as to why he told so many parables. In Matthew 13, 13 through 15, it says this, Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is filled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and you shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they shall understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. So why did Jesus not speak in parables? Je or why did, sorry, why did Jesus speak in parables? Jesus used parables to conceal things because the hearts of the people had grown cold. You see, the kingdom of God is something that 
He says we have to search for. The kingdom of God is something we have to find. And if it has been revealed to us, then we must consider ourselves blessed and highly favored because what was concealed from many has been revealed to us. Can somebody say amen to that? You see, they were the people of the time, much like many people today, are unwilling to search for the things and they are unwilling to understand and they are unwilling to change. You see, what Jesus is saying here is if I would have come down, split the heavens open wide and walked straight out of heaven's glory, they would have seen and they would have turned and they would have repented. But that's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is to come in and be like leaven that leavens the whole loaf. The same way that sin, when a little bit of sin will come in, it will, it will eventually creep into a lot of sin and it will eventually destroy us. But the kingdom of God works the same way. It is like a little bit of leaven. And it started small. It started with 120 in the upper room. Out of, remember, he fed the 5,000. Remember, he fed the 4,000. And we know that when he fed the 5,000, that wasn't counting women and children. And how many know they had lots of children? So they could have been anywhere from 25 to 50,000 people that witnessed that miracle. But only 120 of them ended up in the upper room. Can somebody say so the kingdom of God starts with things small for people who are willing to search it out for people who are willing to say, you know what? I am going to leave all of my preconceived ideas and notions about church, about how God is supposed to move. And I am going to read it. I am going to take it as it is. And I am going to try to search it out so that I can create and get a greater understanding of God, of the kingdom, and of how we are supposed to operate in this earth. Man, I feel like preaching this morning. So with all of this in mind, that there are some hidden truths that we have to mine out, I, we are going to look at this Matthew 22 passage of scripture. And today's going to be just a little bit more teaching. I'm going to give you some tools so that you can take this home with you and you can help properly interpret these scriptures for yourself. Amen? Because that's what we've got to be. You can't rely on me. I, 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 I have to sleep sometime. Amen? So we're going to talk about five rules this morning for interpreting parables. The first thing I'm going to give you all, I'm going to give you all five and then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about it. All right. The first, the first one is who's the audience? Who are we talking to? Who's Jesus talking to? Now, who are we talking to? Who's Jesus talking to? Any, anytime we know in public speaking, you have to know your audience. I cannot go into a Baptist church and preach the same way that I can preach here. I mean, I can, but they might give you funny looks. I have to be able, I cannot communicate to a bilingual, I can't go to Mexico and preach the same way I preach here because they don't speak the same language. You've followed what I'm saying. We've got to know your audience. And the same thing is, is we've got to know who Jesus is talking to. The second thing is, at what point in Jesus's ministry is this taking place? 
Now, for those of you taking notes, if you don't write these down, I'm going to give them to you again. So if I'm going too fast, just hold on. At what point is Jesus is Jesus's ministry? Is this taking place at what point in Jesus's ministry is this taking place? Because it's it's pivotal. Is it in the beginning of his ministry? Is it in the end of his ministry? Is it is it his last words that he spoke to his apostles? Because how many know the last words that somebody speaks to you are the most vital and important words they may speak in their entire lifetime? Thirdly, who are the characters in the story? Because parables are this. They are fictitious stories. They're like fables. They're stories that have a spiritual application. So... If we say, like the story of the prodigal son, who, who is the prodigal son? The prodigal son is you, me, and everybody, the human race, right? And who's the father? God. And who's the older brother? The religious Pharisees of the time, right? They all, and Jesus uses these parables to speak to heart issues that I can't, that, that he could have come out and said, but he was concealing the matter. Amen? So who are the characters in the story? Fourthly, what is Jesus trying to reveal about the kingdom or his father? What is Jesus trying to reveal about the kingdom? Because remember, Jesus starts most of his parables with the kingdom of God is like. And fifthly, how do we apply this today? How can we apply this today? Because if we understand the context we understand who he's talking to, what he's talking about, and some of the issues of the day, then we can take that and say, oh, hey, because how many know in 6,000 years of being alive or however long we've been around here, thing, nobody's really changed all that much. We may, we may have cell phones, and we didn't, they didn't have cell phones back in Jesus' day, but when we talk about base human behavior, nothing has changed. That's right. Amen. People still lie, people still steal, people still get involved in sexual immorality, greedy, lustfulness, all of, you know, everything listed in the New Testament, right? We still struggle with it. So we can take the principles of the scripture and we can take them and we can see what he's saying and how we can apply them today. And this is how we appropriately exegete, we draw out from the scripture what it's really saying and how we can apply it to ourselves today. So with that in mind, with these five things in mind, these are my five points. Normally I only do three points, but these are my five points. We're going to examine this scripture this morning, and we are going to draw out from it what God is trying to say. Amen? Amen. I know this is not a typical Sunday morning, a little bit more of a, this probably would be a little bit better in a hermeneutical preaching class. But you know what? God has called us all into the ministry. And God has called us all to be searchers of scripture. So we all need to know how to properly and rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. So first thing we're going to look at, throw it up there for me. Uh, my dear is who is the audience? All right. So who's the audience? So we know Jesus is talking to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. How do we know this? We know this by the surrounding text. Matthew 21. And 23. Matthew 21, verse number 23. Now, when he came into the temple. So where is he at? He's in the temple. 
The chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him. So who's he talking to? Chief priests, elders, and all those in the temple. Talking to everybody. And they confronted him, and he was they confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Okay, so this is now now there are some other parables that he's talking about before this one. Okay? But this is the context of where he started. It's kind of like my first point is who's the audience? My last point is going to be how do we apply this today? That's how Jesus is doing his teaching. His first point is he answers them and says what he says. He says, if I, I'll ask you one thing. If you tell me how, likewise, if you, you just read it. I'm a man. I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will likewise tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where is it from? From heaven or men? You see, he is in the middle of, at the beginning of this parable, he is in the middle of confronting the religious spirit, the religious ideology of the day. Because they're coming for him hard. Yeah. Right? So who's the audience? The audience is the religious leaders who are out to, here in a few days, crucify him. They're, they're, they're going to kill him in just a few days. At what point in Jesus' ministry is this taking place? Point number two. At what point in Jesus' ministry does this take place? This is the day after the triumphant entry and the cleansing of the temple. How do I know this? Matthew 21, 17 and 18 gives us the context. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Before all of this is we have the triumphant entry. So we have the triumphant entry. He goes in, he cleanses the temple on the first day. Second day, he left them, he went and he lodged in the city of Bethany. He went to the city of Bethany and he lodged there. Now in the morning, beginning of the second day, right? As he returned to the city, he was hungry. Now the rest of that doesn't, the rest of that doesn't matter, but what that's doing is that is setting up our timeline for us. So we know this is, this is day two of Passion Week. Day two. So how important is, all of scripture is important, but how much emphasis can we put on this particular scripture because of where it falls in the life of Jesus? Right? How much emphasis does it take? Because these are the last teachings that he taught in public. Now, I would put greater weight on like the verse, uh, like John 16, uh, 15, 16, 17, and 18, which talks about, which is his last words and prayers, like in the upper room to his disciples than here. But, it, it's, it's, but you understand what, I, what I'm saying, right? You understand what I'm, I'm trying to give you some context so, so we know when it is. It's all important. But we have to remember that Jesus was human too. All of these people that we're talking about, that we're dealing with, we have, a, at least in me, I have a tendency at times to disconnect the human element and go, well, Jesus was just Jesus. Well, yeah, but Jesus wept. Jesus grieved. Jesus had, didn't want to go to the cross and he had to go and pray, for, and pray three times and get comfort from an angel to be able to fulfill his son. He didn't want to do it, but... You see what I'm saying? That we forget this human element, so we have to understand where Jesus is, what he's doing, and why 
It's important why he's doing it. So those two we went through pretty quick. Who are the characters in the story? So let's talk about the characters in the story. The first, first character we're going to talk about is a certain king. That's his name, a certain king. That's all the name he gives us. Who's the certain king? Anybody? 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 Usually when there's a king in scripture, he's a representation of God himself. So the king is God. And then we have servants. So let's, let's read the scripture. Let's just kind of talk about it. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Okay, who's the son? Jesus. Okay? It is okay. You can talk. I'm not, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to kill anybody. So we have a king, God. We have a son, Jesus. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. Who's his servants? Yeah. Yeah, you can. Just shout it out if you want to. Oh, you just, oh, we are. Okay. So I thought I saw you start raising your hand. I'm like, okay, we're really going to get into class this morning. We are. We so in the context of, we, we are, I'm sorry, I thought I saw a raised hand, I'm like, ooh, raised hand. <laughs> Never, nobody ever raised their hands in church except for worship. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, sorry, I feel like a two teacher. Sorry. We, yes, in the context of this scripture, though, it would have actually been the Old Testament prophets he would have been referring to. Okay? Because remember the scripture that says, the, the uh, oh, all I'm giving is the law and the prophets. Everything's built upon the law and the prophets. Jesus came, he didn't come to take away, but he came to fulfill the prophets and what the prophets said. So what they would have understand in their reading is they would have understand that it was the Old Testament prophets. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Amos, all of the, Moses, the, the entire Old Testament is what they would have recognized that he was talking about. The servants. And because what did, the, what did the Old Testament prophets do? This is why we can't throw away the Old Testament. Okay? That's why we can't just go New Testament only. We've got to take the whole Bible in context because, remember, we kind of are grafted into the Jewish race. I mean, just saying. Just throwing that out there. That's why racism doesn't make any sense, but I'm not going to go down that road today. Because we're all grafted into the same vine, and you can't... Alright, okay. Let's not go there. I can't go there, but that's not the point of today's sermon. That's a rabbit trail we don't want to go down today. So the Old Testament prophets went and they preached what? What was the most of their message? Repent and turn or judgment is coming, right? Repent. What was John the Baptist's message? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? So what he is referring to his servants and saying that his servants call out to those that invited to the wedding but they were not willing to come. What he's saying is that I sent my prophets ahead. I sent John the Baptist. I sent Isaiah. I sent Jeremiah. I sent all of these people ahead and you rejected them. He said, I sent my servants, yet the ones who were invited, the ones who are of Israel's lineage said, no, we're not coming. How do we know this? Because every time the Bible refers to, he said that it, it treats them, uh, verse number six, and the rest, let's just read four, five, and six. Let's just get the context of this before I, again, he sent out other servants. So he sent out servants to call those. 
So we have the early prophets. We have the prophets of the law. We have, and then he sent out other servants saying, tell those who were invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted cattle, and are killed, and all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it. Who made light of it? The people of Israel, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees. These are the people he's talking to. They made light of it. And they treated them wickedly. They despised them and they seized them and they killed them. Now, this is not the first parable where Jesus is talking about he sent servants and they despised and rejected him. Do you remember the parable where, of, of the vine dresser where he's sending them into, he sent his servants, they killed him. And he said, finally, I will send my son. And they killed the son. Remember? Because who, who's the servants? The prophets, the preachers, the teachers, the people of the Old Testament that said, repent and turn. And who's the son? Jesus, who said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they killed him. So you see how this functions together. So the servants that he's talking about are the Old Testament teachers and prophets and the canon of Scripture. And then he says, so, so what's the, the, he said, those who were called into the wedding feast and did not come. Again, we know that this, this would be representative of those who, of the house of Israel that would not come, that would not accept the Messiah's coming, would not keep the canon of law, that would not uh, come into the kingdom. They rejected, they treated, they despised and rejected the prophets. That's who they were. So the next people we see in this story are those who were called to replace the ones who didn't come. Who are these? Anybody? Anybody got it? Gentiles. The Gentile believers. You and me. Praise God. So then he's got the one who didn't receive the right clothes. The ones who didn't wear the right garments. Now I don't want to talk about that one just yet because we're going to I'm going to start preaching here in just a minute. I got about 15 minutes before noon. And I want to take the rest of this. And I want us to really kind of see what is Jesus trying to reveal about the kingdom. Here's what Jesus was trying to reveal about the kingdom. God has arranged a marriage between his son and the church. His bride. You and me. The whole nation of Israel was supposed to be right. But let me put it to you this way. They didn't come to the wedding. They stood the bridegroom up. Ooh. Now I could go right there and I could say, now how many of us are coming through on a daily basis and standing the bridegroom up? How many times has God invited us into something greater something better, and yet we still say, no, I have got all of this stuff to do. God, you don't know how busy I am. I can't. And he's saying, if you would just come to me, I'm going to make you my bride. Whew, I'm telling you, 
The whole nation of Israel was invited to the wedding to be a part of this great celebration. However, they rejected and treated lightly the prophets of old, despising the word, of, the word that God spoke through them. They disqualified themselves from being part of this great wedding. So God sent his servants, the prophets, to compel the world. You and me, brothers and sisters, because they rejected him, God sent the prophets to us. He said, Paul, I'm not going to call just anybody. I'm going to call that great apostle Paul, who once was formerly Saul, who was murdering Christians. And he said, I am going to take him and I am going to completely flip, turn him upside down and send him to the Gentile world. I'm not even going to allow him to go to the people he would be best qualified to serve. I am going to take him and I am going to send him to the Gentiles, to the people that have no understanding of the Jewish tradition, religious ways or anything else. And I am going to allow him to bring in and compel people to come into this wedding. I'm going to bring in anybody. The Bible says that he said bring them all. The good, the bad, and I'm going to add this one in here, the ugly. Oh, come on. Somebody knows that old movie. He said, bring them all. I don't care what their past looks like. I don't care what their religious views are. I don't care how, what they've done. I don't care where they come from. If you can get a hold of them and you can get them inside the wedding feast, I want you to bring them all. If you can get them inside the church, get them inside the church. I don't care if they, I don't care what their sin is. Get them in the church. I don't care. Not even in the church. Get them in the kingdom. Get them in the wedding hall. Get them in the feast. Get them in the bride of Christ. It's not about filling this place. It's about filling that place. It's not about filling this building. It's about filling that great kingdom hall wedding feast of heaven. It is not about you and me right now, but it is about those souls that are coming after us. It is about those that are going to take our place. Are we willing to stand in the gap, make up the hedge, and do what God has called us to do in this day, in this hour, in this place? Are we willing to go into the highways and the byways and compel them, drag them, pray them in? Or are we content setting and being pew warmers? Are we content with allowing our neighbors, allowing our children, allowing our grandchildren, our friends, our family, are we content with allowing them to go to hell? Because what you don't pray against you authorize. What you don't pray against. I know you might not be able to physically drag them in the building. I got that. But what you're not willing to pray against. What you're not willing to decree against. And what you're not willing to tear down. You authorize. Why is there so much. Running through our families. Because we have allowed it. Because we have not said and we have abandoned the place of prayer. 
Our fires are not burning in the altar the way they were. Our fire is gone out or it is burning very, very, very low. And if we are ever going to have an impact in this world, we have got to find the place of prayer because it is in that place of prayer that we authorize. It is in that place of prayer that we decree. It is, that, it is in that place of prayer that we do exactly what Jesus told us to do, to bind on earth and and it will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, it will be loosed in heaven. So what have we? We have abandoned the place of prayer. We have abandoned compelling. And we have authorized sin to run rampant in the body of Christ. You see, what is Jesus trying to reveal about the kingdom of God? He has arranged a marriage for each and every one of us. But we want to arrange, we want to arrange, we don't want to arrange a marriage. We want to treat God like a prostitute. We want to treat God like a two-dollar whore. And we want to go to him, get our fix, get off, and then we want to go back and do whatever we want to do. What's the difference between a marriage covenant and having relations with a prostitute? One, I further the kingdom. One is a covenant relationship with intimacy that we can produce something in harmony. But so many people, why are there so many, man, I feel why are there so many Ishmaels running around the church today? Because the church has gotten to the place where it would rather have intimacy with ministry. It would rather have intimacy with programs. It would rather have intimacy with large numbers of people than have intimacy with God. Right. Because intimacy with God costs me something. Right. Intimacy, getting married to God that costs me something. That, that, that's not cheap. I have to leave every other lover to be married to him. I have to leave every other thing. I can't sit around and play on my phone all day long. I've got to be invested in my wife. If I want my wife and I to walk, we have got to listen to one another. We have got to pray to one another. Oh, oh, oh. Because when she is talking to me, is that not a form of prayer? Because when she talks to me, I respond back. And is that not a picture of what God does in our lives? If we would get to the place of intimacy, because you see, there are things that I can talk to Sister Sarah. But there are things that my wife hears that she will never hear because we are in a place of intimacy. We are in a place where we can whisper to each other in the middle of the night. You see, and that's what God is calling each and every one of us into today. That is what this scripture, he said, there's a great wedding feast and I am coming for the bride of Christ, but nobody wants to be in the building. See, Israel rejected the word and are we not seeing that same Rejection taking place today. The prophets, the apostles, the pastors, and the teachers are preaching. The word come, 
repent, turn from your sin. And we are the most despised, rejected, spit upon, cast down class of people because we don't accept what they think reality is because we believe that God has called us higher. You see, it didn't matter the background. He said, come in. And I am here to tell you today, it doesn't matter where you come from. This church is open to everybody. And I don't care what your dysfunction is. I don't care if you can hide it and put on a good show. I don't care if it's flaunted out in front of everybody. I don't care what your dysfunction is because I know what the answer is. The answer is an all is the almighty name of Jesus. The answer is a church that are willing to get back in the altars of prayer and say no longer am this going to be allowed in my life. No longer is this going to be allowed in my church. No longer are we going to stand back and watch people running to hell. We are going to be those servants that compel them to come in. The last one I want to talk to you about today is that man who was standing in the midst of the wedding feast without the right clothes on. Because you see, by just a cursory examination, we could sit back and say, God, he didn't have the right clothes on. You are cruel for casting him out. What if he didn't have the money? Anybody ever been to a wedding and you had to go buy a dress that, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. You had to go buy a dress that you don't even like because everybody knows the bride picks the ugliest color for the bridesmaids so that they look ravishing. I mean, on their day, I don't care. I just, I'm telling you, that's just what seems to me. I've been to enough weddings to know that bridesmaids don't ever look as good as the bride, and I think y'all do it on purpose, and I can't prove that. <laughs> but just that's a sneaking suspense, a sneaking prophetic insight I might have. I don't, I'm joking about that. But, <laughs> right, nobody looks as good as the bride. But you see, in that day, it wasn't your responsibility to buy something for the wedding. It was the father's responsibility to provide garments for everybody in the wedding party. So when Jesus said in the parable, the king went through and inspected the bride, inspected the wedding party, he looked at the one who was not in the right clothes and said, how did you get in here? Because you don't look like the rest of us. You don't talk. You don't act. You are not like us. And it's not because you didn't have an opportunity. It's not like you didn't have an opportunity. You had every opportunity to change from your clothes of sin into garments of righteousness. Yet you refused. You refused to change. So how then 
and God be cruel for your decision and your refusal not to change. How can a loving God send anybody to hell? He doesn't. You choose it. You choose. You see, what do these wedding garments represent? Your holiness. That's why I, I, you picked the right song. You changed the song on me in worship. But, and, and that's why. Because my holiness has a name. And that name is Jesus. My redemption, his name is Jesus. Because my redemption is not based upon my works. My redemption is based upon, do I put on the garment that he gave me? And do I, no matter what, I mean, I don't stumble or fail. Absolutely not. But I remember whole oh, way he says it in 1 John. He says, if you stumble and fall, there is an advocate with the Father that if you fail, he'll come right back down, pick you up, and say, you know what? You are who you said I am. You are who I say you are. I, I am who the I am says I am. I am who the I am says I am. And I am not who I used to be. I am not where I came from. I am not identified by my socioeconomic platform. I am not identified by whether I am low class, middle class, high class, redneck, backwoods, whatever you want to call me. Whether I come from the ghetto or I come from the uptown apartments. It doesn't matter where I come from. When I come into the body of Christ, I am holy. I am righteous. I am redeemed. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am who he says I am. But you see, there are too many in the church today that don't want to accept the garment of holiness. Because we would rather, instead of having intimacy with the king, have a one-night affair with the world. We would rather... Oh, I'm reminded of the scripture that says sin is profitable for a little while, but it will result in death. Sin can no longer reign in our mortal bodies. Why? Because when we have been buried and co-resurrected with Jesus Christ, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You want to you you read some scripture that's going to that's gonna mess you up, that's going to mess with your theology just a little bit? Go read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Oh, that's true. Because John says, I can't sin now. But that's a whole lot different than what the church has been taught their whole life, ain't it? You're just a sinner saved by no. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have been crucified on a cross. You have been buried. And you have been co-resurrected with him. So it doesn't matter what your past says. It only matters what he said. And if you are willing to walk in the garment of holiness. Then. Oh. Then. 
Maybe we can actually start having an impact on this old world. Maybe we can actually walk in the same authority that the apostles walked in. Because how many times do you think Paul walked into a place and said, I'm Saul the murderer? How many times, church? I don't think he walked in and did it ever. Yeah, I was. But now I am. And he said, now I get to walk in the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Because we're, we're no longer the same. I'm the Bible of Christ. I am redeemed. I am not my own. Praise somebody. Praise God for that. I am not my own. Thank God. I don't have to worry about getting to heaven on my own. I have been bought with a price. See, God is calling each and every one of us to come into a relationship with him. And he is wanting us to shed off our whole life, our old life, and walk in holiness with him. To walk in holiness. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to give this opportunity today because maybe there are some of you in this place that would say, I am still being identified by my old life. I still walk around thinking about how bad of a sinner I am. And maybe there are somebody, maybe there is somebody in this place this morning that would say, Pastor, I don't even know this Jesus that you're talking about. Pastor, I don't even know what you're, what you're talking about. But the burden of my sin and my dysfunction, I can't find help in the bottle. I can't find help in the needle. I can't find help in, the, in, in, in clinical psychology. I can't find help in the back of a pill. But I know that there is help in Jesus Christ. If that is you and you say, listen, I am tired of being identified by who I am and I need a a new name written down in glory. Would you just raise your hand for me this morning? And we're just going to pray with you. If that is you this morning and say, I need to be identified as a child of God. Would you just slip your hand up this morning? I see that hand. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else that would say, I, I, maybe you've been saved. For a while, but you say, listen, I am still being identified by my dysfunction. Because listen, you're not an alcoholic. You are not addicted anymore. You may have a struggle, but that's not who you are. Maybe if you are watching online and you identify with what I'm saying, would you just find an altar where you're at this morning? Would you just kneel down by your coffee table or at your couch or just sit there and just begin to pray? Church, let's just begin to pray. I'm opening these altars right now because the fire on the altar must never go out. And church, we have got to find a place where we can say, we can decree and we can declare that these things are no longer going to have a choice in our room, in our place. For those of you that are struggling in this area, I want to give you this. I, I want to give you this. All it takes to be saved is to have faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ does not come through repeating a prayer after me. Faith in Jesus Christ comes by believing and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's, right. and that's, a, that's easy. That's, that's all it is. 
It ain't hard. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we're going to pray. Father God, I just come before you right now and I lift up all those that are in this room that are struggling, God, that are dealing with identity issues. I pray, God, for no matter where we may be, God, whether we are fully in the bride or we are still struggling with addictions and sins of the past, God, I pray right now, Father, that you would watch, that you would bring us into a deeper place of intimacy with you. God, that you would bring us to a place, Father, where you, <clears throat> God, that you would bring us to a place of wholeness in who we are, in who we think we are. God, I pray that we cast off pretentious notions. God, I pray that we don't be identified or don't be scared to come down in church because of who this or who that or what may say. Because God, it doesn't matter what any man, mortal, or devil says about us. It only matters what you say about us. So God, I call forth the righteousness of God in this company of people. God, I call forth the righteousness. God, I call for deliverance ministry in this body of people right now, Father God. I pray, I call forth the intercessors in this body of people right now, God. And I pray, Father God, that you would draw us deeper and deeper and deeper into the, <coughs> into the love of Jesus this morning, God. God, I pray that we would not walk in the error of the children of Israel, God. And that is taking lightly the word of God. God, I pray that we would not take lightly your word. And I pray, Father God, that we, when we are called out, when we are convicted, God, that we would repent and you would wash us of our sin, that you would make us whole. That you would make us whole. Jesus. God, I pray that you would convince, convince us. Convince us of your goodness. Convince us of your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. There's a great wedding day coming, church. I hope, I pray that each and every one of you will be there that day, clothed in holiness and righteousness. In Jesus' name. Go with God. We will see you Wednesday night. Our next service is Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. Sister Crystal is doing an amazing teaching in Acts. If you want to hear about the Spirit of God, I'm telling you, she is talking about the Holy Spirit this Wednesday night. So if you need a fresh touch from God, from the Holy Spirit, and you didn't get it this morning, come on back Wednesday night because she's teaching on it. And I just believe that God is going to bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, I can't stand. I stood up and my body was like, nope, you're going back down. I want to. Oh, no, don't down. 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 Oh, no, don